Hello everyone and welcome to Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labour and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Cynthia Chung, partner at Deakins in Hong Kong. Here on Employment Matters, we bring you updates from around the world as we dial in our local ELA lawyers. These good folks practice on the ground in jurisdictions around the globe, working daily to help their clients move through these difficult times. Today, we're going to be chatting with Samia Sitar, head of firm at Sitar & Co in Bangladesh. On the program today, Samia is going to be talking about some health and safety measures during the pandemic. Thanks for joining us, Samia. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Cynthia. Thank you for asking in the given circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, maybe to set the scene, do you mind just maybe telling us what's the position there in Bangladesh now in terms of the pandemic? Yes, Cynthia. This year, the second wave of the COVID-19 pandemic was difficult for Bangladesh as a whole. On a daily basis, the death infection rates were increasing and it seemed to be the highest in Bangladesh had seen. This led to the government to take many steps to lower the infection rates as much as possible. Initially, on the 29th of March, the government of Bangladesh issued an 18-point directive imposing certain restrictions on public gatherings, you know, educational institutions, public transport, and so forth, in an attempt to tackle the spike in the COVID-19 cases. Eventually, the government completely had to shut down public transport in a bit to decrease the infection rate and also uh, in order to ensure that distancing of uh, social distancing, because obviously public transports were getting extremely crowded. However, these measures unfortunately did not lower the rate, as we had seen. And then the government had to resort to complete lockdowns and closing of offices in order to curb the spike of infection rates. Later in the year, as the infection and death rate started to plummet, the government maybe around, I think, 8th of August, had issued a circular opening all the offices and factories, thus paving the way for businesses and its employees to try to get back to life as usual. All shops and malls and restaurants were opened, all the while reiterating the importance and requirement of wearing a mask. And we are where we are now. And I would say that most of us are open. Most of us are open in terms of offices and factories. Obviously, maintaining certain safe health and safety guidelines. And, you know, however, some establishments still prefer to work in a limited capacity. But it is great that things are starting to go back to business as usual. So that's where we are, if I have to say in a nutshell, for, for the last few months. Okay, great. Thank you. And I, I hope the situation continues to improve. So you mentioned that now that everyone yeah. seems to be not going back to work gradually. Can you tell us what measures employers are taking to ensure the safety of their workers? Yeah, there are many steps which an employer ought to be taking or are taking to ensure the safety of its employees. There's been a recent guidelines. Uh, it's called the National Occupational Safety and Health Guidelines, which was specifically published with respect to the pandemic. We have already summarize the guidelines and the safety provisions and they're available on the ELA website, whoever wishes to see them. But what people tend to forget that although these guidelines have come new in light of the current pandemic, 
But our laws, specifically the Bangladesh Labor Laws, the Labor Act 2006, has always contained provisions that could have uh, addressed the curve of the virus in workplaces. It ought to be noted that in the industrial setting where the possibility of further spread of the virus is always high, following these provisions contained in the Labor Act could help lower the same. Now, BLA, which is the short form of the Labor Act, imposes certain obligations upon the employers which includes proper ventilation in a workplace, cleaning with disinfectants if necessary, and also preventing overcrowding in the workplace, which also can work as a form of social distancing. However, it is with deep disappointment or regret, if I may say, that in most cases, employers tend not to be either aware of these legal requirements of you know, providing a simple thing like a sanitary workplace for their employees or have intentionally opted not to follow them in order to reduce costs. So such failures would, of course, impose liability upon any employer, depending upon the outcome of such violation. But, you know, these these laws have been there for ensuring a more cleaner workplace, less crowded workplace, and also a workplace that has proper ventilation. These were laws that were passed in the year much before than 2006 when the Labor Act came into play. But I think it's just recently been published in the form of a guidelines in light of the current pandemic, just to make people and employers more aware of the importance of these provisions. It's interesting that you say that, Samir, because given the nature of the virus, you know, you would have thought that proper ventilation, sanitized services and caution on the part of the individual go a long way in stopping the spread of the virus. Workplace, you know, clearly be it industrial or commercial, would be much safer if the same is followed. Could you elaborate a little bit more on the provisions contained in your laws that require that such is ensured? You're absolutely right, Cynthia, in stating that, you know, proper ventilation, sanitized surfaces and caution on the part of an individual could go a long way into stopping the spread of the virus. And in this regard, the labor law provides for the same to a certain extent. For example, If we look at Section 52 of the Labor Act, which imposes an obligation upon an employer to provide adequate ventilation in order to ensure the circulation of fresh air into the workplace, ensuring the same would undoubtedly lead to a reduction in airborne viruses and, you know, any polluted air to be expelled from the workspace with the introduction of fresh air, thus greatly reducing the infection rate. I think such ventilation along with the government's campaign to ensure that citizens wear face masks would guarantee some protection from the virus for the workers of an establishment. If we look at, for example, another one of the rules, the Bangladesh labor rules, rule 45 also elaborates on section 52, which I've just mentioned, and which is a bit more detailed, which states that a workplace is to contain sufficient windows to allow air circulation. And where such is not possible, one should have at least minimum exhaust fans in that particular space. Now, you see, these rules and laws have been in place, like I said, much before the pandemic. It's just that it is now coming up to the forefront in light of the hazards that we are facing in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. Another example is Section 51 of the Labor Act, which provides that an establishment is to be kept clean, 
specifying that the floors are to be washed at least once a week and with disinfectant. So again, Rule 41 of the Bangladesh Labor Rules elaborates on this and provides that in order to ensure that a workplace is clean, which is i.e. free of germs, the same must be washed with the required chemicals and solution, meaning that since there's a possibility of the workplace having the virus on it, the same must be sanitized using the correct disinfectant. Now, again, you know, these are all there, whether it has been followed or not previously is a matter of fact. We cannot obviously generalize because some employers have followed it, some employers haven't followed it. For example, social distancing has been preached to us from the beginning of the pandemic. But if you look at Section 56 of the Labor Act, and even before prior to the spread of the virus, imposed an obligation upon the employers to ensure adequate space between workers so as to avoid overcrowding. So these are laws that have been in place. And by following these provisions of the Labor Act and the subsequent guidelines, I think the spread of COVID-19 can be curtailed and the country can go back to business as usual without any hindrance. The question is, are we following them or are the employers strict in making sure that the employees follow them? That's the question to be asked. Yeah, well, it, it seems that, you know, Bangladesh could probably have lowered the spread from the second wave of the virus if, as you say, if they followed the various provisions. But as you mentioned that there, on the other hand, had been an immense spike in the infection rates early in the year, leading to the stoppage of work, lockdowns, etc. In this regard, what, what is the penalty, if any, for an employer that fails to follow the law for a safe and hygienic workplace? That's a very good question, Cynthia. Before we discuss the penalties for failure to implement the provisions of the labor law, it ought to be noted that the BLA, which is the labor law itself, while being a civil statute in nature, does in certain circumstances impose criminal liability on the employer. Therefore, failure to follow the provisions already mentioned will result in either a penalty fine or even imprisonment in dire circumstances. For example, if we look at Section 309 of the Labor Act, which provides that any violation of the law which results in the loss of life or causes some injury or any danger to workers or any other person in an establishment is punishable with varying terms of imprisonment and fines. For example, in a certain subsection of Section 309, it says that it provides for punishment of up to four years of imprisonment. And one lakh taka, 100,000 taka fine, provided that the contravention results in the loss of life. Obviously, if the contravention results in some danger to a worker, which is likely to be a more common occurrence in real life, then the employer is liable for punishment of up to six months or a fine of up to 2,000 taka. So therefore, if an employer fails to uphold the already mentioned safeguards, which results in workers contracting COVID-19, at least in theory, they could be liable to fines and imprisonment depending on the level of harm that is caused. And Section 309 is a clear example amongst many that where the Labor Act has imposed criminal liability for violation of its provisions while still being a civil statute. Wow. Okay. So moving on from the issue of COVID-19, you've stated that the BLA being a civil statute can impose criminal liabilities. 
I'm interested to find out whether the same can be imposed upon employers and the workers alike, and in which circumstances then can that be imposed? Cynthia, from my experience, I've seen that many employers and even sometimes workers are shocked and in awe when they realize that their actions under the Labor Act could lead to criminal actions or omissions under the Labor Act could lead to criminal liabilities, you know, like imprisonment. I'm glad that you've asked me this question because the BLA under multiple provisions imposes uh, criminal liability for certain failures on the part of the employer and on the worker. Now, obviously, the explanation of the same, uh, and if I have to deal with these, then it would require a much longer period than our session allows. But in short, I'd like to highlight two or three provisions which imposes criminal liability. For example, uh, section 288, for any person who fails to provide or any employers who fails to provide adequate protection on machineries to prevent injuries. And then we have section 292, which provides for imprisonment of up to a year for, on any person who breaches any decision given under the Labor Act or any settlement or any award. Now, there are also multiple imprisonments in relation to trade union activities, if someone engages, if an employee engages in unfair labor practices or action discriminating against trade unions, you know, you can have an imprisonment of one year if you fail to comply with the order of a labor court with respect to termination, you can also be sent to jail for that. If there's a misappropriation of funds, you can be imprisoned for three years under 298. Recently, I've faced, uh, one of my clients has faced a simple, although it sounds simple, but we didn't realize that it had criminal consequences because if under section 306, you can be imprisoned for three years if there is a willful refusal or failure to produce any register or document which is supposed to be maintained in pursuance of the BLA. So I received a call early morning one day, my client, who is, was the managing director of a company, was like, that. listen, I've just been slapped with a summons for a criminal case. And I was like, what? He's like, that. yes, because apparently I've not maintained certain documents which I'm required to maintain under the provisions of the BLA. And one fine morning, the labor inspector showed up. And because they could not produce the relevant documents, they were given a case, they were given a suit under Section 306, which the liability was of three months, up to three months. And then, but the fact of the matter is, it's not whether it's three months or three years. The fact of the matter is that it is imprisonment. So no one wants to deal with the criminal case. And when there, and when we saw the documents, we saw that most of the documents were there, maybe one or two documents were missing. Ultimately, we fought the case before the labor court and we ended up with a fine and the imprisonment was waived. But it just goes to show that you just don't know when and where these things will spring up and, you know, which could lead to criminal consequences. That's why it's very, very important for all employers to maintain proper documentation, to follow the provisions of the Labor Act very strictly and stringently in a very conservative manner in order to avoid such cases being filed against them. Yeah, so I think that's the story in a nutshell with respect to criminal liabilities. Obviously, like I said, there are a lot of other rules and laws, a violation of which will lead to criminal consequences. But I think that's not, this is not the time to discuss each and every one of them.
Yeah, this is certainly a very complicated area of the law for employers. And in view of obviously the serious criminal consequences, obviously our audience, I think we'll turn to you for any further specific advice. Samia, thank you so much for taking the time to discuss these issues with us today and for joining us on the program. Well, the pleasure is always mine, Cynthia. Thank you so much for inviting me. If you'd like to connect with Samir, please click on his bio in the description of this podcast. Also search the ELA website at ela.law to receive invitations to our upcoming seminars. Download white papers and on-demand content from our online library or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Cynthia Chung. Thanks so much for listening.